0: Sports Talk Saturday on WGR Sports Radio 550.
1: All right, let me be the first to officially welcome you to the afternoon noon hour here on WGR Sports Talk Saturday. Welcome back, Nick Erie, Corey Griswold, hanging out with you for the next two hours. We are headed back to the Wester Hotline now because ESPN's Teron Davenport joins me now to talk a little Titans. Teron, first and foremost, man, uh, how's summer treating
2: you? Oh, man, the summer is treating me awesome so far, man. Everything is going just exactly the way I wanted it
1: to. It's not bad that, uh, you know, the Titans are giving you some stuff to write about uh, in the middle of June because not everybody uh, gets (laughs) it. Our our, our mutual buddy, uh, you know, Marcel uh, Louis-Jacques of ESPN, he doesn't have as much fun stuff to write about here in June. So so count your blessings, man.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, you know, the roles are reversed this year. (laughs) Make no mistake about it, last year, you know, Around this time, you have some really good stuff to talk about, and Stefon Diggs becoming the mm-hmm. uh, bill.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent, man. And listen, the AFC is starting to get pretty crowded in terms of the wide receivers that are going to be playing on this side of the uh, on this side of the conference. And not only that, the quarterbacks. I mean, the AFC. As it stands right now, and I just had uh, Jeff Lloyd of uh, Locked On Bills or Locked On Browns talk with me. The Browns, the Ravens, the Titans. You can make the arguments. The Colts are. We don't know what they'll be with with Carson Wentz, but like the AFC is stacked. And I'm wondering what your take is on a move like. Going to get Julio Jones. Now, listen, the Titans didn't really address losing Jonu Smith and and, and Corey Davis and some of the other pass-catching weapons that ended up walking in the offseason. So this made a lot of sense. Eventually, they were going to have to address it. But how much do you believe the trade for Julio Jones, just knowing they're going out and getting one of the game's best receivers, was maybe a reaction to just how deep this AFC is, and if they really want to contend and win a Super Bowl or be the team that represents the AFC, that they needed to stock the cupboards a little bit on the offensive side of the ball?
2: Yeah, I don't think it was a reaction necessarily to the AFC as much as it was to them doing uh, you know, self-evaluation, and that's something that This franchise, you know, they specialize in you know, being self-actualized. And they realize that, hey, the passing game is going to have to balance out the rushing attack because teams are going to stack the box to stop Derrick Henry. Mm -hmm. So you have to have some type of threat. And losing Corey Davis obviously hindered the passing game somewhat. It it would have, you know, even with Josh Reynolds coming in and, and selecting Des Fitzpatrick in the fourth round. But nevertheless, when you bring in someone like Julio Jones, That just changes the whole dynamic, Mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, defenses, you know, it would be interesting just seeing, you know, if they have the audacity to stack the box because when you do, and even a team like the Bills, you know, Trey Davis-White is is one of the top corners in the league, one of my favorite players. So, I mean, yeah, you got him against A.J. Brown or Julio Jones, but what else do you have? Right. And that's the problem when you create that one-on-one matchup like that. It really uh, tends to be advantage Titans when you got Brown and Jones.
1: So, Ron, you know, I've had you on the show multiple times over the last couple of years. And you and I, I mean, we probably have had a few conversations around Corey Davis about, you know, when it was going to be his time. And I thought. You know his final year in Tennessee. He actually probably was his best season. I mean, he stayed healthy. He was productive, and I mean that production ultimately got him paid in New York. But you know, thinking about replacing Corey Davis with Julio Jones, how you're and you're talking about the one-on-one matchups, which I love. But like, how dynamic now does this offense become with Julio Jones? And I guess kind of the follow-up or 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 the second phase of that question or layer to that question is. What do you say to maybe the people out there that maybe are minimizing this move because they say, well, this is a team that's going to run the ball anyways. This is a run. Their identity is running the football. Why should this move potentially scare teams other than to say, well, hey, they'll beat you one-on-one on on the outside, but how many times are they going to throw the football?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think really they're going to take the quality over quantity approach, and that's something just in talking to wide receiver coach Rob Moore. They've always had that mindset where – You know, they pride themselves on being able to get 1,000 yards on 50 to 60 receptions. So when you bring in Julio Jones, I think that is actually just going to help increase that quality of reception just because you look at Corey Davis, you look at Julio Jones, both big guys, strong, powerful guys. But I personally believe you get more yards after the catch, more bang for your buck, so to speak, when you're looking at the receptions with Julio Jones. And it's just it goes back to the mindset too, right? This team – they have a physical mindset. They and It's just like Coach McDermott and, and the mm-hmm. Bills. They they want people to understand that when you come and, and, and play them, it's going to be a backyard fight. And it's yeah. one of those ones where, you know, you're going to have to ice up afterwards because it's a physical confrontation. And I think that extends to the passing game with a team like the Titans. I mean, you know how A.J. Brown is after the catch. But then when you get 230-pound Julio Jones, yeah. a guy who – brings physicality just as far as running with the football, running through tackles, and then the speed he has. I think that's where the upgrade is, whereas, you know, I I talked to Teddy Bruschi, uh, Super Bowl winner, ESPN analyst. You know, he was on my show talking with TD this week, and and I talked to him about that. And he said that 10- to 15-yard reception turns into a 20- to 30-yard reception with Jones, and that's really just in a nutshell how it will be better. And then on top of that, you legitimately have a guy where it's like, okay, do I want to go one-on-one against him with no safety help over top? I think not. So now we're going to go seven in the box as opposed yeah. to eight consistently. And that's, that's where the benefit's going to come. And with Jones and, and Ridley there in, in Atlanta last year, they faced, they were 16th in the league facing eight-man boxes 12% of the time. The Titans were number one in the league, facing them 23% of the time. So that tells you right there just kind of how defenses look at the hierarchy of, of the Titans' offense is Derrick Henry and then the passing game. But now with Julio Jones, as he said on Thursday, it's pick your poison. And there's just so much more that, that you could do. I think it's a really good good thing. And then just not to mention, when teams stack eight in the box against the, the Titans, Derrick Henry is is, uh, low to deal with, and a good example of of why he's so good against eight-man fronts, you go back to the the Titans versus Ravens, the divisional title game in uh, 2019, 2020. Uh, What he was able to do, right, he broke a tackle, Matt Judon's tackle at the line of scrimmage, and he had the speed to pull away from everybody. Because when you stack eight in the box, that leaves one-on-one on the outside, and you got your safety help over top guess what, you get to the second level and you have a a guy like Henry with with the speed that he has, it's deuces, I'm gone. And that's really what happens. So, uh, you you know, it it really is a pick-your-poison approach to to this team. And and even when you pick one of the poisons, it's like he still does good against eight-man fronts anyway.
1: ESPN's Teron Davenport joining me on the Western Hotline. He covers the Titans. We're talking a little Julio, talking Titans. Uh, Teron, you know, I, I'm interested, too, and, and you know, I know, you know, we've had conversations around the quarterback position quite a number of times in, in Tennessee, and, you know, since taking over, I think there's this misconception because Ryan Tannehill isn't in terms of arm talent. He's not the Josh Allen. He's not the Patrick Mahomes or the Aaron Rodgers. But I think the misconception about his ability to throw the deep ball is Really extends around arm strength and not really around the accuracy of his deep ball. He is one of the more accurate, if not I think maybe last last two seasons, one of if not the most accurate deep ball passer of 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 throws 20 plus yards air uh, through the air. He puts it into a bucket, and I wonder. You know, and some of the quotes you heard from Julio, like, I want to go play with a quarterback that is going to go throw the ball, let me go get it, I'm going to run past defensive backs. And although that may not fit the bill for Tannehill, like he's just going to overthrow defenses and he's going to throw it past defensive backs, I think there's an argument to be made that he might be one of the more underrated, you know, deep ball passers in all the league.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that definitely holds true. And, I mean, you look at just off of play action, the way he's able to place that post route, and, and just make the guy accelerate to the football, like, that's next level. When, when you have the ability to make the receiver, you know, run faster. Like, he doesn't have to slow down. He has to speed up to get it, and that creates separation. So, absolutely, he's really good on that. And, and that's the thing, right? You know, last year you had Khalif Raymond. Look at over the last two years, Kalief Raymond. <laughs> I don't even think you ever heard of him. But this guy hit on, like, four to five deep shots, you know, including a touchdown against the Ravens, you know, to put them up by two scores in in the divisional game. And then even you look at the Colts game towards the end of the year, they hit him on one and that kind of sealed the deal on that. So now you're going from Cleve Raymond to Julio Jones. That's just going to get even better. And then just to kind of further drive the point home, Josh Reynolds said one of the reasons why he wanted to sign with the Titans was because of Tannehill. And he was like, man, Tannehill will put that thing up there
1: yeah, and you know, listen, I, I think at the end of the day, we could I, it's it's exciting to talk about this offense. I think there's a lot of facets to it. There's a lot of layers on how they can beat defenses. But I mean, listen, at the end of the day, you cover the team. You know this more than anyone. I, I think the questions now turn to the defensive side of the ball. And yeah. listen, there was a lot of I, the Titans for being a team that I feel like is going to be a contender this year, they had a lot of player movement, and I mean total inverse of the Bills, where the Bills kept everybody. The Titans had a lot of player movement. I mean, they moved a ton of defensive backs. Noah Dory, um, Noah Dory Jackson, and they move on from um, from Malcolm Butler. What does this team look like in the defensive backfield, and do you believe... You know, And I think I was actually recently, funny enough, talking to a Titans fan. One of my buddies that lives here in Buffalo is a big Titans fan. He was telling me, listen, that the the defensive backs that they had last year, there's, in his mind, he's like the only way they can go is up. He didn't think that they were very good and they were overpaying guys and they moved on and they've got younger guys to replace them. What is your confidence level with this defensive backfield? and Are you maybe concerned that it might hold them back from, from maybe beating a team like the Chiefs?
2: Well, uh, you know, let me tell you this. Uh, your friend that, that's a Titans fan, you ask him if he's subscribing to uh, ESPN's Titans page. And you also ask him if he subscribes to Talking with TD on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. <laughs> I'm sure he does. If he's, if he's not, you better slap him. He's telling me He needs to do that. <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, talking about that, that defense, and you, you mentioned how that secondary has been revamped. They gave up uh, 36 touchdowns last year due to air. That was the second worst in the league. And that is atrocious. So, you you definitely, when you have $10 million in one guy, 14 in another, and six in in another, that's why they're gone. So, you you bring in Amani Hooker as a starter now, not a reserve. He moves up to to be next to Kevin Byard. You you have Christian Fulton, second-round pick, entering year two. He had an interception a couple OTAs ago, picked Tannehill off, and he's planning on having a big year. But then you look at the rookies, right? Elijah Molden is going to be that nickel guy. And he's a very NFL-ready player. You watch what he did at Washington and just the way that he could play. Uh, You know, I told him, I talked to him, I I had him on my show. I said, it's buy one, get two free with you because, you know, you could play nickel, you could play outside, and you could play safety. And you do all those pretty well. So that's something. And then the big big factor is Caleb Farley. Mm. And if he could get back to how he was at Virginia Tech, now, and that's an if because, you know, backs are, are, are a funny, like a, a fickle thing. So you, you got to be careful with it. But he seems to be on track to be able to, to get where he was. Pre uh, the second procedure, he was a 4 2 guy, you, you know, right, right before that in March he was doing that. So, I mean, if they could get him to where he needs to be, that is going to be a tremendous boost to, to that defense. So I think, you know, when you look at the secondary, they have to be – more aggressive, and you love to hear Kevin Byers say that. You know, he said we ought to get up and challenge receivers a little bit more because when you give them a free release, you know, it's like take going against the Bills, right? Mm-hmm. You give Stefan a free release off the line of scrimmage, I don't care if you're Jesus. You're not covering him. He's going to kill you, <laughs> you, you know, and so that's the thing. You got to get up and you got to challenge them. and even doing that, you know, it's still difficult, but when you disrupt the timing, right, you get that chatter at the line, you disrupt the timing, that makes Josh Allen or whoever the quarterback is They're looking there because typically that's going to be the first read, but they're going to come off it. So when they come off it and they progress further through their reads, guess what that does? It gives the guys up front a little bit more time to get home, and that's really important because, you know, Danico Autry, Bud Dupree, these guys, you know, combined 13 sacks, coming to a team that only had 19 sacks, which was the third worst ever by a playoff team. Yeah, and I think the defensive line's kind of the the next place to
1: really talk here, Teron, because, I listen, they go out and they draft Rashad Weaver, too. They really, and this is, listen, this is a Mike Vrabel team. You know, if nothing else, this is a team that's going to put assets into the defensive line, into that front seven, and they certainly did, and, and, and this goes beyond just this last offseason. I mean, we're, we're talking about Jeffrey Simmons now going into, what, year three, coming into his own sort of after, after uh, you know, missing part of that rookie season with injury, Harold Land. Who I think is really an, a pretty nice player on the edge. You mentioning uh, adding Bud Dupree. How much? How much do you? How much better do you believe this unit is now that they've gone out and they've made these moves? And do you believe that this is an edge unit, that, especially with the addition of Bud Dupree, that might be one of the better ones in the AFC this upcoming season?
2: Well, I don't know that I would call him one of the better ones in the AFC, but I, I think they'll be solid. And you know, the addition of Bud Dupree, and Danico Archery, it. It adds what, you know, we like to refer to as, as hashtag that dog. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and, right. and when you get that, that mindset, just that, that killer approach, and I'm not saying the guys with the Titans didn't have it, but when you bring guys who are known for, you know, just playing with, with a, a, a killer mindset, a, a, a violent way of wanting to, to do things, that's, I mean, Bud Dupree, if you watch him, he's one of the most violent players in the league. So when you add that to your team, it just uplifts that mindset and, and, and just helps further develop that. And Then you also look at the pass rush culture. You know, uh, yeah, that's something that needs to be established with the Titans. I mean, they don't have guys previously as far as up front that, you know, when it's time to make a play, they take it personal and they say, man, that's, it's my job to make the play and I'm going to be the guy to do it. That's specifically – what Bud Dupree told me when I asked him about the pass rush culture and bringing that mindset to the team. So that right there is just a really good factor just off the field. But then when you get on the field and you see a guy like Bud Dupree that could play so well against the pass, but then also against the run and just cause so many problems, their stunts and twists and different things like that, they'll be able to do up front with Jeffrey Simmons and, and those type of things. So it's going to be a really good opportunity just to see how they could get going. But it's just, in my opinion, you got to approach Bud Dupree's situation with caution because the man tore the ACL right. in December. You know, so I, I don't think – like, I would be surprised if he comes out in September and he, he's wrecking shop. I don't think he's really going to be himself until, you know, uh, uh, late October, early November, mm-hmm. which is fine because that's when they have the toughest stretch. They have a five-game stretch. The Bills are in there, the Rams, the Seahawks, man. It's it's the Colts, the Ravens too, I believe. or No, it's it's, it's those four teams. Uh, I, I don't remember the fifth team uh, off the top. But, yeah, I mean, that's going to be a tough stretch, and that's going to need Dupree at his finest. But, like I said, with the secondary, those guys, you know, being more aggressive and not playing off, you know, third, third and three, you're playing eight yards off the ball. You might as well just, just pick the football up and, and move it to the first down marker because, you know, you're going to give it up. And that's why they gave up. 53% of the time teams are getting, uh, you know, converting first downs on third down opportunities. You know, you mm. can't win
1: like that. No, certainly not. Listen, I before I let you go, I'm I've been having this discussion with friends. I have it online a lot and you know, I think the the tiered teams of the AFC, I I, I some are debatable, you know, whether or not people are going to include the Titans. I think they should now with Julio Jones. Um, where do you stand with the Ravens? I, I, I just, I'm i interested in your thought here, because they go out, they get Sammy Watkins. I actually like the move a lot. I thought when he hasn't been healthy in Kansas City, that offense loses. So it lost a little bit. Now, don't get me wrong. They're still the best passing offense in the league, and they've got unbelievable weapons. But... You know, when they're forced to go to, like, some of those third, fourth, and fifth receivers instead of having Sammy Watkins on the field, it, it was noticeable, at least to me a little bit. Now, if he can say healthy, that's the big question mark. But I loved Rashad Bateman, loved that draft pick for the Ravens. Yeah. My question, and this has sort of been my question to everybody that, that, that talks ball— Is will it matter who they bring in a wide receiver if Greg Roman can't turn his elementary, you know, route scheme and route tree into a more diverse, more layered approach? Otherwise, like it doesn't matter if they have Julio Jones, Rashad Bateman, and you name the receivers. If they're running the same five and six routes that teams are sitting on and know they're running, does it matter who they bring in a wide receiver?
2: (laughs) Hey, I mean that's an excellent question. You kind of made the case right there, but you know I'm going to add Tylen Wallace. to to that mixture as Mm -hmm. well, you know, so they have a really nice solid group and uh, those guys that they added, right? Watkins, Bateman, Wallace, those are really good additions, but here's next level for you. They added Keith Williams, who was a receiver specialist. He worked a lot with Devontae Adams and, you know, a lot of guys in Texas, they come to Texas and, uh, you know, he works with them doing footwork and those type of things. And he is someone that's going to be a pass game coordinator. So now you have a guy who's brought in specifically with a receiver background to incorporate more passing concepts, so that should help them. But then the, the low-key move that no one is really talking about that really stands out to me, and it, it, it stands out to me because T. Martin is my guy anyway, mm. but you know he's the receiver coach, and he was a receiver yeah. coach at Kentucky. He coached Randall Cobb there, USC, Nelson Aguilar, and, and a bunch of other guys and, and Tennessee, Josh Palmer. You know who who came out and was a, a sleeper in, in the draft this year. I say all that to say that they've made a concerted effort towards that specific thing, and I I think that's going to make that passing game better. And I'm looking forward to it because I, I'll be honest, like I'm sick and tired of people saying, Me too, Lamar man. Jackson's not a good passer." <laughs> Me too, man. He actually is, and I don't know how you lead the league in touchdowns and not be a good passer. You know, so if you're saying that that he's a, a bad passer, then that's watering down the whole every other quarterback because he had more passing touchdowns than him in 2019. So, I mean, it is what it is. There's going to be bias and, and, and people who don't want to acknowledge that they were wrong in evaluating them. But I think overall that passing game is going to elevate. And it, it doesn't have to be top tier because That's right. that rushing attack That's is right. the best in the league.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it's spot on. It's just, you know, I, I look at it, and if you're the Ravens, it's om- it almost becomes impossible to say, listen, like, we know, we understand Greg Roman needs to add layers to this offense for this to ultimately get us over the top, but – it's hard to listen. It's hard to fire a guy that is leading the number one rushing offense for the last three years. Um, they're getting, they're they're making the playoffs. They're in the division race every year. That like that's why it's so difficult if you're a Ravens fan to say, hey, listen. A lot of this blame goes on Greg Roman, and I think everybody agrees. But what are you gonna do? You're gonna you're gonna fire the guy that's leading the number one rushing offense in the league? Yeah, you wanted you want that team to be better passing wise or just more efficient passing wise. But man, you're just in, you're stuck between a rock and a hard place in, in Baltimore with Greg Roman. And listen, I mean, as a guy, I liked Greg Roman here, um, but even he, his his thing ran a little dry and stale here too. And I think eventually, this is a make-or-break year for him, regardless. But it's just it's hard to have the conversation of do we fire a guy that's leading the number one rushing offense? Like that's just not an easy conversation to have.
2: Yeah, I mean, you don't fire him, you supplement him. and that's exactly what they yeah, did. You're right. So, I mean, that's really just in, in a nutshell. You know the way they are. I don't think they're in a rock and a hard place. You just got to get creative and, and find some ways to you know, offset his tendency, you know, to run so much and, and I just just expand what he's able to do passing-wise. And I, I think that's what they're going to do. Awesome, man. As always, thank you so much for joining me, bro.
1: I, th- thanks for making time for me on the weekend. Enjoy the rest of your summer. Uh, we'll be talking soon as the season approaches and, uh, and that Bills-Titans matchup comes, uh, comes up. So uh, lo- really looking forward to it, man. Again, thank you so much for making time for me as always.
2: Yeah, for sure, man. And Bills Mafia out there. Uh, I appreciate the way you guys travel. So I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing you guys come here to Nashville. Just, just be a little easy on the takeover, man. <laughs> I like to hear the home crowd
1: cheer too. <laughs> Uh, they will travel hard to Nashville. That's like that's actually probably Bills Mafia's favorite trip is Tennessee. So that's like it's yeah. been. Here's the crazy part, John is the Bills have played in Tennessee almost. I think for their last what? How many matchups they've played in Tennessee? They keep playing there. Um, yep. And, and pe- but it's like that is the trip everyone. If the Bills, if the Titans are on the schedule, Bills fans are crossing their fingers that it's in Tennessee because they love they love their trips down to Nashville. No doubt,
2: no doubt. Well, awesome, I Appreciate my man. you guys having me on.